Every day, thousands of cryptids around the world wake up cold, scared, and covered in the blood of their victims. We here at the World Cryptid Support Fund are working tirelessly around the clock and around the globe to provide comfort and support to these animals we cannot yet locate. For just the price of 16 cups of coffee a day, you can make a real difference in the life of a poorly understood and never photographed potentially mythological creature. Climate change and loss of habitat may be forcing thousands of creatures from their homes every day. We, we don't know because we don't know where they live, but this might be happening. Please, help us aid these poor, suffering, misunderstood creatures. With your gift of $74.83 daily, we can make a difference in the lives of creatures that have never made a difference in yours. I will remember you. Ha! Will you remember me? With your support pledge, you will receive a crayon drawing of a creature that might or might not exist. You will receive monthly update reports on what we think it might be eating or how fast it could swim. I will you. you will be a part of a never-before-seen and never-before-contacted theoretical life form's daily existence. So please, give to the World Cryptid Support Fund and know you're doing the right thing for things that might not be things at all. Everybody, Hello. welcome back. Oh, for the deuce. El Duce. <laughs> <laughs> that was an aggressive way to put it. Uh, welcome. You know, what better way to introduce Lovecraft? <laughs> welcome to and part with two. With a fascist reference. Yeah. <laughs> uh, he would have been into it. Yeah. <laughs> I'm David Flora. I'm David Stecco. And with us joining us uh, uh, for part two. Of the Cthulhu Mythos, we have Mr. Ken Height. Hey, thanks so much. Uh, thanks for sticking around, I, man. It's like uh, it's like John Stewart being like, "Oh, I've talked to you for two minutes. Can you stick around and do a, yeah. an extended thing on the web?" Only we're not John Stewart, and at it's all. way longer than two and minutes. It's way longer. This is a real chunk of your life you don't get back, <laughs> but it is on the web. So there's yeah. that. Yeah, yeah. So we got that going so for it's us. Just like that. Yeah. We're we're just barely po- less popular than John Stewart. <laughs> Yeah, sure. Yeah. <laughs> you couldn't even get through the sentence. By certain <laughs> measurements. Uh, welcome back I to think Blurry if you Photos. Put all three of us together, we have almost as much hair as John Stewart. Yeah, there yeah, you go. Maybe. So close. <laughs> Facial we, hair counts, Dave. We Perfect. are going to be uh, uh, delving this, this episode into the real mythos uh, that Mr. Lovecraft has created. Or revealed. Dun 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 dun. 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 
And no, uh, man, the truth was always there. He just pulled back the veil, man. You you think you are kidding, but oh my God, are you not kidding? <laughs> oh, no way. Oh. Yes way. Oh, we're definitely getting into that. That we, is awesome. We're, we're already standing in it and we didn't even know. Oh. <laughs> uh, so great. We, we welcome uh, uh, Ken back. And, and I hope you all, uh, let's get some, I want to see some emails for how much you guys enjoyed Shadow Over Innsmouth. Yeah, exactly. Because you all went and saw it. Yes, uh, you were probably turned away at the door because mm-hmm. it was so popular. So, so David Flora and I did that that tiny two man production out on the street corner for everyone who couldn't get tickets. It was and, terrific. So, thank you guys for watching that. Very inspirational. Appreciate your generous <laughs> tips. And the one guy that threw his shoe, not appreciated. Yeah, come on, man. What? <laughs> so, Ken, what we've titled the episode obviously is the Cthulhu Mythos. Let's start talking about this world that H.P. Uh, Lovecraft created. Can you, uh, oh, oh, fearless leader, guide <laughs> us from a good starting point of from where to dive in here? Okay, the starting point of the Cthulhu mythos is obviously Lovecraft's short story, The Call of Cthulhu, which if you haven't read, you're all fired. <laughs> but <laughs> You had a week, people. Yeah. We even told you that it was f***ing free on the internet. People will read it to you in bad Texan <laughs> accents. Right. Texan accents. <laughs> I reckon you got yourselves a Cthulhu. Y'all are looking for an island. <laughs> uh, and in the uh, Call of Cthulhu, uh, the story is that there is... A spoilers, dude. Spoilers. Oh. <laughs> that beneath the Pacific Ocean, a vast alien entity named Cthulhu has been lying since unknown prehistoric time, millions and millions and millions of 600 years. 600 years ago. Right. <laughs> and when you say vast, least, it's like mountain size. Yes, or... a mountain walked or stumbled. Uh, the notion is that uh, Cthulhu fell to Earth or came to Earth, seeped down from the stars, in the great Lovecraftian phrase, of, of eons and eons, a billion years ago, let's say, and conquered the world and ruled it until the stars changed, until cosmic conditions altered, at which point his... Uh, continent in the Pacific sank and he was trapped at the bottom of the Pacific in the ruins of his great stone city of Rulier. And from that point, he has lain in sort of suspended animation and sent his dreams out to the rest of the world. And once other intelligences, us evolved, we picked up on Cthulhu's dreams. And from those dreams, we have assembled basically all of human religion, superstition, supernatural belief all of our notion of the supernatural of the divine comes from cthulhu's telepathic dream sendings so we were like like a, like tuning forks with a sympathetic right frequency. and those who have received his dreams the most clearly created a cthulhu cult which has lasted uh down the ages and every so often uh when they think the time might be right they they try and raise cthulhu from uh the pacific and uh, bring about the Cthulhu apocalypse. And in the story, an earthquake raises Riley or Rulier for a, a brief moment, uh, just long enough to kill everything that comes into contact with it, and then plunges him back down into the Pacific as the earthquake's uh, sort of uh, aftershock or sequel comes along. Teaser. Right. And so Cthulhu is sort of the, uh, he's not like the king of the Cthulhu mythos, but he's sort of the, you know, the, the first guy out of the box in the same yeah. way that uh, Superman is the first superhero. Cthulhu is the first entity of the Cthulhu mythos. And Lovecraft retroactively introduces a lot of the concepts that he'd put into his stories before. The Necronomicon, uh, Miskatonic University, uh, the god Nirlathotep, 
things like that as part of the Cthulhu mythos. And he brings them all together as he writes story after story going forward in which he will allude to or refer to his own or the stories of his friends Mm -hmm. uh, creations as part of this overarching mythology. So just as the Greek mythos was created by the cultists of Zeus and the cultists of Poseidon and the cultists of Hera and the cultists of uh, Hermes and Hades and all these guys put together their own individual cults (laughs) and uh, it was sort of rationalized by Hesiod uh, as sort of, oh no, he was his brother and he was his son and see, it all works out and they were all part of it. In that same way, the Cthulhu mythos has been rationalized both by Lovecraft, although he was never uh, clumsy enough to sort of lay it all out in the fiction, Mm -hmm. and then obviously by his later successors and by people who write role-playing games about it. (laughs) Those hallowed heroes. They're they're unsung. They're really, they're American heroes. (laughs) That goes SEAL Team 6 role-playing game designers. That's how it goes. (laughs) And then teachers and firemen, sure. Fine. Fine. We talked about it in the first uh, part of the this this uh, Cthulhu-sized episode. We talked about Massachusetts, in particular Arkham, uh, being kind of the epicenter of mm-hmm. of this world that he creates. Can you tell us a little bit about uh, Arkham, the place? In Lovecraft's fiction, Arkham plays one of two roles, and all of his cities are sort of dual cities. We talked about that a little bit with New York, right? Yeah. When he got there, it was sort of a magical fairyland and a land of opportunity, and the beautiful skyscrapers and he was so interested and excited and a city that never sleeps and writing and oh so much. And then he found or was looking for the underbelly of New York, the horrible um, uh, black magic cults and foreigners part of New York that he didn't like. Arkham has the sort of part of of New York that had people that didn't look like him. (laughs) The horror. (laughs) And the people that looked like him, but were disguising their real nature for Uh. some reason. I think we all know what we're talking about. Mm-hmm. That's right, the Portuguese. Anyway, um, so yeah, uh, all of Lovecraft cities have this we sort of duality to them, right? That they are um, <laughs> that they're both uh, you, you know Jerusalem and Dis, right? That they're uh, both uh, Providence and um, uh, Dunwich, and so Arkham in the stories that are not set in Arkham is the place of relative sanity. It's from Arkham, for example, that Professor Armitage goes to defeat the Dunwich Horror in Dunwich, which is the miserable inbred hill community (laughs) in uh, uh, remote Massachusetts. But in the stories that are set in Arkham, Arkham is witch-haunted and has a dark past and a, a, a creepy, horrible underbelly. So Dreams in the Witch House takes place in a house that was lived in by a witch of Arkham named Keziah Mason, uh, who used it to open up hyperspace gateways in an awesome fashion. And so <laughs> he figured Arkham out the seventh Chevron is both, uh, you know, it's not that hard. You got the six it pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> it's just that simple. So the, uh, so Arkham becomes like all of Lovecraft cities, both a place of civilization and a place of uh, secret hidden horror. And, uh, you know, so it's described as witch haunted Arkham, you know, that talks about its creaking gambrel roofs and things like that. The, the, its architecture becomes code for an ancient past that is hiding things. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And they, they have uh, likened that to a sort of Salem-esque type of town. Yeah, right? he says in his letters that Arkham is roughly Salem only with the addition of a university. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> and the university, as we've mentioned, is Miskatonic University. Right. So named yeah. for the river that runs through. Exactly, yeah. Which he says came from a jumble of Algonquin sounds. <laughs> <laughs> 
Which is a pretty good point to give a high five to the uh, the current iteration of Miskatonic University, the the podcast, yeah. that, of which you were just a recent guest, right? Correct? Yeah, I was I was on. I think I was on their first episode in 2014. Nice. Wow. So they're uh, it's there. If you go to the Miskatonic University podcast site, I'm no doubt a little a little ways back now as they've interviewed yeah. other people. But well, check them out anyway. Check them out. High yeah. five, gentlemen. Thank you guys for for listening to us. We, yeah, we see you. We see you lurking around the twitters. <laughs> we see you. And I guess I should also uh, give a shout out to uh, the HP Podcraft Literary Podcast. Nice. Oh, I like that. By, well, uh, Chris well Lackey played. and Chad Pfeiffer, who did uh, they did a show every every uh, show Pfeiffer was, needs a lackey. <laughs> it's true. It's true. <laughs> I, I I heard a couple of their episodes actually. Yeah. yeah, and I was on a number of those as well. I did the Dreams in the Witch House episode. I was on uh, one or two of the other ones. Um, and so that was a great podcast. Uh, he had other guests, obviously people like, you know, Robert Price and, um, ST Joshi and people that did, uh, the guy that did reanimator stuff like that. So it was Stuart Gordon. So nice. lots of, you know, sort of high caliber guests and nice. yeah. Robert Price, uh, a fun guy. He's got, uh, the Lovecraft geek. That's mm-hmm. a podcast you yeah. can, you can go to. Yeah. Cool. Cool. And, uh, uh, Again, with with Miskatonic University, uh, w- one of its important uh, features is that it houses a copy of the Necronomicon. Yes, one of the seven known to exist in the world is in the Necronomic is in the Miskatonic University Library under lock and key, and that again is later in the in the stories. In his first place that he introduces the Necronomicon, which is in a story called the Festival, which is the story that he wrote right after seeing Marblehead for the first time uh, that ah, I mentioned yeah. in the last uh, episode. Mm-hmm. So this guy uh, finds out that he's an ancestral member of this worm cult, goes crazy, falls into the water, washes up on shore, is put in an area insane asylum. And apparently in that story and perhaps in no other story, if you're feeling really confused and adrift in an insane asylum, you can write away to Miskatonic University and say, can I borrow your copy of the Necronomicon (laughs) to try and make sense of my horrible experience? And you know, maybe it was the previous regime, you know, the old librarian was like, sure, what could go wrong? Who, who am I to well, judge? just send it out with a self-addressed stamped label whenever you want to send it back from the insane asylum. <laughs> the, the early iterations of interlibrary loan were a lot more fast and loose That's than, right, than yeah. the, the system we have today. That's when Thanks, you get Obama. your asylum qualified as a state college and you are golden. That's yeah. right. <laughs> but yes, by the time of, say, the Dunwich Horror... Uh, Professor Armitage is, you know, one of his jobs is to guard that copy of the Necronomicon <laughs> yeah. and not let Wilbur Whiteley come and touch it with his filthy goat hands. Yeah. And uh, so that is, uh, it becomes a sort of a, a a totem, if you will, of this forbidden knowledge and opening the Necronomicon leads you into understanding of the true nature of the world and of prehistory and of humanity's marginal status on both. <laughs> Which has that, there, the, there's that great, thing that comes up occasionally about that, that HP Lovecraft did where to really understand like the, the threat is understanding sometimes. Like if you really understood what, what was in play right now, you would absolutely go insane and people do. Yeah. Yeah. And and that's, that's kind of a, a, a fun concept to, to have this thing like, no, this is not only scary and will keep you from sleeping. It'll keep you from anything. Yeah. It's, um, There, there's a couple of ways to look at it sort of in other senses. I've compared it a lot of ways to the gun in the Western, in the classic John Ford Western, mm-hmm. right? That uh, you need the gun to defeat barbarism, to yeah. civilize the West. But once you've picked up a gun, you're no longer part of the civilizing force. Mm. You are the thing that needs to be civilized away from. Yeah. And the mythos is like that. In order to 
truly understand defeat the forces of the mythos you have to understand the mythos but by understanding the mythos you become part of the mythos <laughs> what a tasty <laughs> tasty complexity yeah <laughs> really i mean and, and again that's that's the kind of you know s- storytelling depth but also i think mythic depth literary depth moral depth that mm-hmm. makes that really drives lovecraft and drives the cthulhu mythos and it's why we're still talking about that instead of anything else that was in weird tales in 1928. True. Now we, you and I can have once had a a conversation about this and I want to, to get it as a part of the podcast. (laughs) Uh, We talked about the, uh, the idea that HP Lovecraft created one of the great mythologies of the 20th century. Yeah. One of the, the unique new completely, you know, heretofore and unknown mythologies of the 20th century. Yeah. I consider Cthulhu and uh, the mythos generally, to be one of the two original myth yeah. in the sense of mythic creations of the 20th century. And I think it's literally of the 20th century in that mm-hmm. Lovecraft creates Cthulhu because he is a, he is a, a big, big fan of science. I mean, like I mentioned, he washes out of high school. He doesn't have a formal education, but he read astronomy at an academic level. He wrote an astronomy column for the Providence uh, newspapers. He was, at least a informed layman about nuclear physics, about uh, earth sciences, geology, things like that. And they discovered Pluto in his lifetime. Yes, and he worked it into Whisper in Darkness yeah. as the home of the the Migo, the crab creatures uh, who uh, pester uh, the the farmers up there in Vermont. And like so, they do, like they do. And so he he's reading this this new physics, which in 1928 26 is still fairly revolutionary. The notion that for example, um, Hubble discovers that we're not the center of the universe, right? The, yeah. <laughs> the Andromeda Nebula is actually the Andromeda Galaxy. We're not the only galaxy. There's yeah. lots of galaxies, and we're not at the center of the galaxy <laughs> cloud either. And, and that's a huge change. That's like the Copernican revolution for stars. <laughs> and so that is happening. Rutherford's discovered that the Earth is not millions of years old, but billions of years old. Shapley has discovered that the galaxy is orders of magnitude larger than we thought it was. Obviously, Darwin and Heckel have discovered that evolution implies the absence of a divine creator, the absence of a divine plan, and explicitly states that mankind is just one more of a billion species, Yeah, some, most of which are extinct. So all of these uh, beliefs that mankind is irrelevant have poured out of, of modern history at the same time that modern culture has made individual people less and less and less important. You've got <laughs> uh, the mass state, you've got mass economies, you've got big business, you've got... Uh, big labor, uh, you know, uh, totalitarian mass murders are going on. It's all part of this world in which the individual person is less and less and less important. Lovecraft is the first person to take those two senses that humanity is unimportant and the individual human is unimportant and turn them actually into a myth, right? Mm-hmm. To yeah. w- What myths do is they explain our lives to us, mm-hmm. right? It's like, where did lightning come from? Oh, that's from Thor. Oh, thanks, myth. Yeah. You know, that's helped us out. <laughs> Well, we don't, we don't really care where lightning comes from because it doesn't mean the end of our lives if there's a sudden thunderstorm. Yeah. But it does mean the end of our lives if there's a gamma ray burster in some nebula we've never heard of or if, <laughs> yeah. you know, Al-Qaeda weaponizes some god-awful disease that we've never heard of, right? And those are the fears of the 20th century. And that's what Lovecraft is playing on when he talks about Cthulhu, that there is this entity that predated us, is briefly quiescent, and will awaken and destroy us, not because it hates us, it's not Satan, mm-hmm. not because we're bad, just because, oh, time's up, gotta yep. go, the landlord's back, yep. <laughs> you can't so, squat here. Yeah. 
You you said the 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 two uh, myths of the the twentieth century. The other being Star Wars. No, the other one being uh, <laughs> George Romero's uh, zombies. Oh, interesting. Yeah. That's uh, that. Your neighbors are going to eat you, which is pretty new. Oh, and the the the, the very the, the very late, mass nature of that. I mean, there are there have been cannibals before, but they always lived over there in Scotland somewhere. <laughs> they weren't literally. All around you. The zombie apocalypse is, is new and original. Mm. Well, it's original to Richard Matheson, but Romero is the guy who sort of takes I Am Legend and makes it into a thing that has so many legs that you can literally say, okay, it's a zombie apocalypse story, and the thing we're talking about is, right? Yeah. Mm. I mean, it, and it, it's and Thanksgiving, but during the zombie apocalypse. I mean, in anything else, it's like, no, no, go back to zombie apocalypse. That should be a story. Now, no, it's a backdrop. Uh, yeah. 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 And I and I, and it and it shares a lot of the same roots as H.P. Uh, because it's responding to the same modern concerns, exactly. Right? Of, yeah. of mass culture and mass mm-hmm. society being something that is hateful and damaging. Yeah, <laughs> I like that. I love the I love that concept. I love the the. Uh, that's why I wanted to make sure to get it on the podcast too. Yeah. I really enjoyed that. And we talked about uh, Cthulhu being mm-hmm. sort of the. Uh, I, I like this Superman an- analogy yeah, of right. it. Who are some other uh, major players, either Elder God wise or. Uh, like Doctor Armitage, yeah. Uh, well, um, the, the, in the human, uh, it's the various protagonists of the of the stories. Uh, one of the things about Lovecraft that is dinged on him is that his characters are relatively samey samey. There's not a lot of individuation of them. But again, that's part of his point. Yeah, is that yeah. these people are just sort of you know evanescent scrims on you know uh, <laughs> on on existence, and the one tiny little. Um, uh, flower in the in the field that pops up and is slightly brighter than the other the mower's coming regardless yeah, right yeah. it's not a question it's not even a tall poppy syndrome it's just all the poppy's going to go yeah you're going to go that fraction the thing of that a we second remember sooner. are the 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 great beasts the monsters the 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 mygo the fungi from yugoth who are the source of the belief in yeti and sasquatch and wild men all over the world are mm-hmm. actually these these mygo creatures or the ghouls the creatures that live in graveyards and um uh, if People are of thanatophilic tendency. They become ghouls and then drift into a half world between our world and the land of dreams. Mm -hmm. Uh, There are alien races that ruled the earth long before we did. The great race of Yith and the elder things and not the mountains of madness. They're creatures, the Shagas that we talked about previously that eventually became the thing. The deep ones, of course, who are a fish, uh, an aquatic species that is probably produced maybe as skin flakes off Cthulhu or off Cthulhu's spawn, some connection (laughs) to Cthulhu. But they interbreed with humanity on the on the shore and are going to at some point just get bored with us and wipe us all out, like in John Wyndham's Humanoids from the Deep. Uh, there's a lot of these sort of alien beings, and by presenting these creatures as part of Earth's longer history, mankind just becomes one more and one relatively small, unthreatening part of global yeah. history. And then there's other great entities. In addition to Cthulhu, there is uh, Nyarlathotep, who is mentioned a number of different places in Lovecraft, who is either a form, another formless being, or he is sort of a specifically human end of the universe deity. It, it's he's in uh, Dream Quest of Unknown Kadath, and in the poem Nyarlathotep, he's got a very human aspect. He's sort of like. Hello, my name is Nyarlathotep. I'll be apocalypsing you yeah, right today. <laughs> in other stories, like in Nyarlathotep, he's sort of just this human avatar of a great mindless entity that is our Im- immense destruction. In other stories, yet he is just another one of these cosmic beings, 
and his specific role is 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 unknown in the Haunter of the Dark Lovecraft's last story. He's sort of the anima, the shadow that's been haunting human history throughout all time. And the act of looking through his shining trapezohedron and perceiving him brings you into communion with Nirlathotep and you're 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 destroyed by it. <laughs> uh, Yog Sothoth is the uh, is the key, the key in the gate, the sort of guardian of the spheres. He's who keeps all of the universes separate except when he doesn't want them to be. And so when he interbreeds with the Whateley family, he produces yeah. Wil- Wilbur Whateley and the Dun- and the titular Dunwich Whore. Mm-hmm. Uh, Yog Sothoth is also the whose name being... was I think um, Randy. 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 Wait, Randy. It's his, it's his twin brother, Randy. Wilbur and Randy. His, 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 name, was, his, his name was Aaron. Yeah. yeah. There are the um, other gods that other uh, writers have created. There's uh, Haster, who is uh, someone that Lovecraft borrowed from Ambrose Bierce and was later on uh, immortalized by August Derleth, who was one of Lovecraft's uh, sort of uh, originally wrote fan letters to him and then wrote. Uh, Lovecraftian fiction, Cthulhu Mythos fiction, started the publishing company Arkham House to keep Lovecraft in existence. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, in in pub in in print and in public knowledge. Uh, there's uh, Clark Ashton Smith, who we mentioned, created the the god the god Sethagoa, who's sort of a in Lovecraft he's sort of a, a malevolent demon of the underworld, and in Smith he's sort of a a, a vuncular toad bat who teases you <laughs> rather than eats you because he's lazy and fat. Uh, uh, Robert E. Howard created Golgoroth, who was the fisher from outside, mm-hmm. sort of a, a mysterious, horrible entity. And the notion, again, being that these entities may or may not be just giant aliens or denizens of some outer dimension, but to humans, they look and act like gods. Right. And so that both has the, the notion that you can have cults of them, so you can have cultists who are your your bad guys or your opponents. And it also calls into question: What about all the gods that we know and like, like good old Zeus and Thor and God? What about them? Yeah. And so the notion is: Well, maybe they're just creepy, horrible beings from another dimension. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Maybe you, this is you're just standing at the end of a very long line of of mm-hmm. broken down descriptors or something. Right. Yeah. You know. And and in later uh, stories, Lovecraft uh, implies that all of human religion is basically misunderstood science fiction. All right. It's, yeah. it's alien astronaut stories. Next week on blurry photos, alien astronaut stories. <laughs> Previously. Never given in. Yeah. Uh, I feel like a, a lot of those concepts, I mean, that's, that's why we're talking about the dude. It, yeah. It's just, <laughs> they're, they're ahead of their time and they fit right in today, you know, just with, with things that I, I, you can't compare the crap that's coming out today with, with what he was doing, obviously, but well, I mean, someone's got to be the best, but there is yeah. really good Lovecraftian fiction being written now. Um, you know, Caitlin Kiernan writes terrific ghoul novels. Uh, Nick Mamadus, before he retired from horror, wrote some top notch Cthulhu mythos stories. You know, it's, it's Sturgeon's law is as true in horror and as true in Cthulhu mythos as it is in anything else. 90% of everything is crap. Yeah. yeah. Oh, oh, and and I wasn't even limiting it to to Lovecraft stuff. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's just like like you said last episode, you mentioned Twilight, which you should never ever say, but but <laughs> you did. Form. <laughs> <laughs> Call up that which you cannot put down. Yeah. I forgot the bylaws of blurry photos and that was that was one of our early rules. Whoops, a daisy. Yep, but, but I can't. No Mormonism. Yeah, but I can't be Except put during in the, the Mormonism box. episode and the sparkling episode. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> when do we do our sparkling episode? You're coming back for that one, right? Oh yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. Try to stop yes. me, tough guy. <laughs> uh, like you could do one without me. <laughs> and uh, in his writing, as it evolved 
early on, it seems like he was writing a lot of uh, creatures or these horrors as as kind of nebulous, globular. They didn't really, but then they started taking form more and more, right? In, into until he finally gets Call of Cthulhu, and then you have these very strong, solid form things. Well, even even Call of Cthulhu is sort of in the middle of that trajectory. Mm, yeah, yeah. Uh, Cthulhu is described always as like this, but not that. <laughs> right? So the, the canonical description of Cthulhu is, if I were to tell you that Cthulhu could be represented by a dragon, an octopus, and an anthropoid caricature, it would not be too far wrong. Right. That's not the same thing as describing Cthulhu. <laughs> yeah. Right. And when he actually sees Cthulhu, he's like, there is no language for it. Yeah. A mountain walked or stumbled. That's literally what it looks like to him, is a mountain is falling on him. And it's not like... No, that's like Godzilla. No, it's a mountain. You know, that's bigger than Godzilla. Yeah, yeah. And so this, the notion that that's we have... like bigger than Mechagodzilla, if you were asking Cthulhu, The understanding of Cthulhu that we have is based on these human sculptures that are drawn of him by these humans that have seen him in dreams. Mm-hmm. And so everything that we see about the mythos, and this is one of the really great things about the mythos, and this goes back to some of his very earliest stuff, like From Beyond, that... We do not have the sensoria. We do not have the brains to understand what's going on. Mm-hmm. So everything we see about the mythos has to be filtered and stepped down and transformed and you know passed through this tiny little pipe that is our mentality. And so what we get out of it is like this one little facet of the truth. And that and that's another thing that is is so uh, fun about it. That's one of the th- reasons why I think it's so so popular is that a, Lovecraft has this kind of whoa 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 humanity on the brink of the future. Pump the brakes. <laughs> mm-hmm. You haven't come as far as you think you have. You know, like there, you you compared to these these entities, we're, we're we're no better off than we were when they went to bed. We're we're no more capable of understanding. Yeah, and it and it is. There's definitely a putting everything into a perspective uh, of a much, a much different perspective, because especially at this time, you know, it's, 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 it's a, a America on the rise. Everything's optimistic. There's, there's prosperity. Well, there's... it's the depression. So that not well, I thought super that, I thought rise. this was, I thought well, this was, was written, written in 1926 and published in 1928. Okay. But a lot of his later stuff comes out in the thirties. Gotcha. Okay. Right. I thought that those were written, but there little... is still that general sense that humanity is going to be able to understand things. Yeah. And mm-hmm. even that now, I mean, people are like, Oh, I wouldn't mind seeing Cthulhu now. It'd be awesome. It's like you assume <laughs> that you could comprehend it. Yeah. You are making the mistake. Lovecraft is trying to educate you yeah. out of. Yeah, he's right? literally telling you, no. no. <laughs> and that's the thing. People are like, well, yeah, maybe in 1928 they were scared, but we're much smarter than that. It's like, you haven't evolved. We pop and lock, dude. Changed. We don't even holly gully anymore. <laughs> right. Yeah. We can handle. The, the technology of the Charleston has been lost. <laughs> Except in Charleston, oddly enough. Right. Yeah. <laughs> they have but, a responsibility but I mean, but your to point history. Earlier, Dave, is that Lovecraft becomes more sort of anatomical with his creatures definitely comes in with things like At the Mountains of Madness mm-hmm. and Shadow Out of Time, his much later more science fiction stories, where they're literally stories of alien contact. And in At the Mountains of Madness, there is literally a dissection report of one of these aliens. And so yeah. it's described in very neutral academic prose mm-hmm. of how you would write up a fossil, only this is not a fossil. This is a, as it turns out, living elder thing from a billion-year-old civilization in Antarctica. But that's because Lovecraft, first of all, is trying, again, what I talked about, the verisimilitude, that you have to be able to believe this thing happens mm-hmm. because the horror in At the Mountains of Madness is not these aliens that have been living in Antarctica for millions and millions of years. 
it's the things they were scared of. Yeah. yeah. And the same thing is with the shadow out of time. It's, it's not the great race of Yith that are the horror, although they are not super pleasant being <laughs> psionic aliens who can kidnap you into another body as soon as look at you. <laughs> but what could take these guys out? What could they be scared of? Right. That, that and second something tier even above bigger, it. Right. That, that is, that is so fascinating and, and that he creates this world like, Oh, are, are you frightened by what you've seen? No, you dumb bastards. Now it's time to talk about the thing that scares the crap out of them. Right. The reason why they're doing what they're doing is Mm. to avoid this other thing. Right. And that's, that's beautiful. That's, that's a great, that's a great technique. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's, it's part of just his absolutely, I think unrivaled and I, you know, certainly unexcelled mastery of story structure of Mm -hmm. writing a really good horror story correctly. And for some reason there has been this, weird notion that Lovecraft is a bad writer. And I think it's because people have overprinted his early work, right? I mean, if, if the only thing we ever had to go by was, you know, Shakespeare's first three or four plays, we'd be like, that guy's terrible. But, you know, we don't go by, you know, Henry the sixth part three. <laughs> we go by fricking Hamlet. We yeah. go by Macbeth and King Lear with Lovecraft. Same deal. Don't go by, you know, Herbert West reanimator and the outsider <laughs> go by call of Cthulhu and whisper in darkness. Those are great, great stories. And that sort of that notion of structure is what he's been doing for the first part of his career. He's been reading a ton of horror stories and he's been applying them and saying, okay, if this is the scare, what's the, what's next? the next level? Yeah. yeah. And, and uh, the scare early on, very much in people's minds, he's, he's creating this, uh, uh, this horror in these stories that as a reader, it's all personal, mm-hmm. it, you know, because he just, he leaves it up to you as what is driving these people mad. What is this thing that, that attacked them? And then they wake up in a hospital bed, mm-hmm. yeah. you know, and that's some of the, uh, the fun stuff as he's getting his sea legs to, to learn that next level of complexity and, mm-hmm. and stuff it was really cool. Uh, <laughs> Do you have any any kind of running tally on how many people go mad in Lovecraft lore? Um, I never really counted them up. I did <laughs> notice that no one in Lovecraft ever reads a book and goes crazy, which is interesting because our notion Including is you read the, the Necronomicon, Necronomicon. Yeah. you're dead, you're gone. That's yeah. it. Toasty, out, lights out. What happens is people have read the Necronomicon and said, what an interesting body of lore. Good thing that's not real. <laughs> and then they have an experience that says, oh my God, the Necronomicon was a book written by a guy who was the denier that these things exist, right? Yeah. There's a great line in um, uh, At the Mountains of Madness where it's like, Abdul Alhazred describes Chagas, but insisted that there's none left in the world. Yeah. <laughs> and we've found a whole city full of them. <laughs> great. Awesome. <laughs> and so it's when Danforth is flying out of the Mountains of Madness and he looks back and sees something. We don't know what. Yeah. And he doesn't even tell them. Then he goes crazy. Yeah. Yep. Right? And it's because he recognizes something from the Necronomicon, but we don't know what it is, right? Beautifully done. And so that's that's the thing. And um, so the the notion that you know you read the book, you go crazy is it's from the game, and it's oversimplification, and it's fun to pretend. But the books don't drive you insane. What they do is provide you with enough knowledge, like we were talking earlier, that you're doomed. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Enough rope to hang yourself. <laughs> and having given the monkey rope, we know it will hang itself. Right. <laughs> Every time. That's how monkeys work. <laughs> it's uh, hardwired. Yeah. Well. So we've talked a little bit about uh, his his influences on other people. Mm-hmm. Can you uh, uh, tell us kind of how far his sticky tendrils reach these days? 
Well, they reach everywhere. I mean, if you look at uh, Neil Gaiman has written Cthulhu Mythos, Michael mm-hmm. Chabon has written Cthulhu mm-hmm. Mythos, Stephen King obviously has written Cthulhu Mythos. Everyone in horror is writing on Lovecraft stationery, regardless of what they're writing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it, there, it's just no way you're not. Science fiction has been vastly changed by him. People like uh, James Blish were big Lovecraft readers back in the day. Fritz Leiber, of course, is uh, was a was a Lovecraft disciple who takes the Lovecraft sensibility up into fantasy and into science fiction. Uh, he when when Fritz Leiber writes Smoke Ghost, which is the first urban horror story, first urban fantasy story, really. It's set on the Chicago L. It's written because he's been write, re- reading Lovecraft, and Lovecraft has been telling him how to write horror. Yeah. You obviously can look at any computer game with, with tentacles in it. You look mm-hmm. at you know comic books. He's all over the place. Huge in heavy metal. Heavy metal guys love Lovecraft. Yeah. Metallica have a whole uh, concept album about Lovecraft. They got a song called Cthulhu and songs that Blue Oyster Cult love Lovecraft. He's, he's beloved. Uh, his sticky tentacles are everywhere. And then, like I was mentioning, you know, Nick Mamadis is writing terrific stuff, or was before he retired uh, from horror. He's writing crime fiction now. Uh, but there are other, you know, real top-notch horror writers, top-notch genre writers writing Lovecraft stuff. Now, I, I noticed there there haven't been well, there there have been a few film adaptations of of his work, right? Yeah. They don't come across nearly as well, obviously, as as reading it. But well, I mean, there hasn't been a fully successful film Dracula yet, and there's been about a hundred. <laughs> true, of them, yeah, so true. Yeah, it's not as easy as it looks. You know, we're we're not all Robert Wise. Even Robert Wise isn't always Robert Wise. <laughs> so why do you think that is, though? Why do you think that it, it has a hard time translating to a direct well, I, adaptation? I think, I think a lot of it is the same reason that any novel has a hard time translating. Mm-hmm. If you looked at the number of really successful, in the sense of A-list movies, made from novels, you don't want to remind you list. of the rule right now, Ken. Right. No <laughs> there's, novels. There's a, there's a rule. No particular novel. <laughs> We don't. We don't mention Twilight. I know you were you were alluding to the the blockbuster success. Well, when I said of the A-list very- movies, obviously <laughs> I'm mentioning Twilight. <laughs> obviously, the doy, boy doy. But besides Catherine Hardwick's timeless cinematic classic, I mean, you you, uh, you again, you can look at the number of uh, movies of of ghost stories, and uh, there's Jacques Turner's uh, Curse of the Demon. There's Robert Wise's The Haunting. Are there very many other? I mean, maybe the woman in black is is good, but it's not the haunting good. Ghost. Yeah, obviously, ghost. Based on a a private diary entry of M. R. James that he hoped you wouldn't have read. Thank you very much, people. Now a Broadway oh musical. But um, I, I think that that's part of it. Part of it is that when Universal was inventing the modern horror canon of monsters, mm-hmm. Lovecraft was still obscure. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, and, and it's just, you know, dumb luck. Hollywood is full of illiterates. That's another down check. Uh, if you haven't done it before, they're not going to do it now. Yeah. Which is another th- problem. So if <laughs> uh, Del Toro's At the Mountains of Madness had A, ever gotten done, and B, had made a million billion dollars, yeah, we'd be drowning in Lovecraft movies. Yeah, true. Yeah. And just playing the odds, some of them would be good. But in terms of have there been good Lovecraftian movies, movies that carry on the Lovecraftian tradition, absolutely. Alien. Mm-hmm. Is a Lovecraft story, right? To a uh, slightly lesser, but not particularly uh, lesser extent. Um, Beethoven, Die Hard. I, I've oh. <laughs> Beethoven is it? Yeah. <laughs> really, more Beethoven to the second movement. Yeah. <laughs> That's the more Lovecraftian one. Yeah. Charles Grodin. Yeah. Anything with Charles Grodin is Lovecraft. <laughs> but uh, wait, to, to back it up a little bit, yeah. I did not realize. So was was Guillermo del Toro 
trying to get a uh, yeah. an adaptation off the ground. Del Toro is a huge Lovecraft nerd because yeah. he's a huge nerd. Period. He was trying to do At the Mountains of Madness. Um, he briefly had James Cameron attached as producer. He had Universal had greenlit it. Uh, Tom Cruise was going to be in it, huh. um, and then the the magic just didn't stay together. Whatever happens in Hollywood happened, and uh-huh. no one. I think that they were beginning to get budget panic. Uh, they were beginning to realize that Del Toro has never made an, a lot of money for studios and has cost them a lot of money. Right. And uh, there, it may have been one of the deals where he was being brought on to do The Hobbit briefly. Uh-huh. And so he wasn't going to be able to be Johnny on the spot for Mountains of Madness. And so then Tom Cruise gets unattached. I don't know exactly what the cycle is, but all the stars almost came right and then stopped. Ah, yeah. Oh, that would have been great. Well, it would have been interesting. I am... Uh, I've I have seen very few Del Toro films that I couldn't pick apart almost immediately, and it <laughs> would have been interesting to see if Mountains of Madness would have been the first good. What one about Pacific Chronos. Rim? I mean, I didn't know how that was going to turn out. <laughs> Ever, you just That's came to see it because it said Rim. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I did. It was not what I thought it was. Yeah. My bad. Another another heavily influenced. I mean, you you've got these giant uh, sea monsters coming from the the depths of the sea. Yeah, right. Uh, a little bit more uh, hope in humanity <laughs> right. in that yeah, story. Because but... he's also telling a Mexican wrestler movie and a kaiju movie and all kinds of other movies. I mean, he's he's a busy boy. As They're called luchadors, Yelma. dude. <laughs> um, Respect to me, amigos. <laughs> also, I mean, with how Lovecraft wrote, we wouldn't be able to understand what we're looking at anyway. Well, I mean, in some cases, right? <laughs> you if can't you really tried to film that. the Dunwich Horror, which has been done, I think, three times now with indifferent success Mm -hmm. it's going to be really really hard to figure out what the horror looks like when you're done apparently it's a lot of uh, neon flashes right but the color out of space is just a color it's a color that can't be perceived by humans but you're like one good visual effect away from being able to film that as written if you wanted to yeah uh whisper in darkness doesn't take anything except monsters and we can build monsters all day so it's i think that it's just cowardice it's cowardice and laziness uh Charles Dexter Ward has, I think, come closest to being filmed well. There was a Roger Corman movie called The Haunted Palace that has got a Poe name, but is the Charles Dexter Ward story. And uh, Dan O'Banion, who uh, wrote Alien, did a movie called uh, The Resurrected, which was a a pretty good Charles Dexter Ward. Neither of them are great because they were done for a budget of $9 or whatever. (laughs) You know, again, there's nothing wrong with them as films. They're no worse than any other horror B picture. And uh, Haunted Palace at least has Vincent Price, which is... (laughs) Terrific. And not to mention, once you get Roger Corman working on something, you're, you're going to get what you want. Yeah. Uh, well, you make money, at least. Yeah. A fun aside, I, every time I, I hear The Color Out of Space, I always, the first thing in my head I hear is the Colorado space. And I'm like, <laughs> why? Why is that? What's that have to do with <laughs> Yeah. I actually, the Color Out yeah. of Space. It's what people in Wyoming call that thing. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh, you mean the Colorado space. <laughs> Y'all don't go down there. <laughs> right now, it's just it's just neck deep in hippies and weed smoke. You ain't want you want nothing to do with that. You must be an Englishman telling the story. Yeah. <laughs> I'm an English pirate. Uh-huh. That's right. Do you do you think would he have even wanted his his stuff turned into to movies? Lovecraft was one of those people. Again, when you read Lovecraft writing about, and he's going to see Dracula and Frankenstein, right? He's seeing the Universal classics, and he writes about them to his friends, 
And it's like every nerd on the internet is, who's talking about, you know, Lord of the Rings. Well, they totally changed Faramir. I hate that. This sucks. Uh, Lovecraft was... I didn't um, know you uh, read my post. Was like, he, 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 he claims he fell asleep uh, a third of the way through Dracula because it was so boring. And he's like, and only uh, chivalric rage on behalf of poor Mrs. Shelley prevented me from falling asleep during that botched Frankenstein. So I don't know that Lovecraft, you know, certainly he would have been one of those writers that you pay and then keep far away from the set. If yeah, they yeah, made yeah. Them. In, in my sort of fantasy Lovecraft version, uh, you know, sort of the, the Lovecraft u- utopia, they sell Charles Dexter Ward as a novel and uh, Val Luton picks it up for RKO. No. <laughs> and so you have a Val Luton, Charles Dexter Ward, and maybe Lovecraft is flown out to write the script. And he, uh, and then subsequently flown right the f- back well, to Rhode he, Island. I, 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 in my version, he discovers that everything in Los Angeles, the weather is perfect, and he can maybe deal with the fact that there's a lot of foreigners there <laughs> because the weather is so great. And so he just hangs around studios bashing out treatments that are then ignored. <laughs> but he's at least you know being paid well, and he's eating lots of fresh fruit, and maybe that fixes his problems. <laughs> Cheers him up a bit. Yeah, why not? Awesome. The dates don't quite work because Val Luton is a little after Lovecraft's actual yeah. death, but you know, whatever. It's my version. Yeah, this is this is your dream machine, man. But yeah, no. If, if Val Luton had made a, a Charles Dexter Ward or had made a Lovecraft movie, it would have been terrific because all of his movies were terrific, even stuff off very unprepossessing stories. Indeed. All right, I want to. I want to. We we just talked about it ever so briefly at the very beginning. You mentioned that there are. People, I was I was making a joke about like, oh, he just, you know, he's the one who perceived the true nature of things. Are you saying that there are people that that just that the for for which these are not works of fiction; these are historical documents? Yes, I'd like to hear about them. <laughs> well, I will tell you. Um, you guys have done an episode on Aleister Crowley by now, of yep. course. Uh, oh, I'd like to point this out. This is a great moment. Ken <laughs> pronounces it. Alistair Crowley, which I got my ass kicked for in my episode. Now, I just did it because I'm an ignorant lout. But Ken, why is it Alistair Crowley? Alistair Crowley himself explained uh, in, in, uh, in poetry. He said, <laughs> they pronounce my name Crowley because they wish to treat me foully. But my friends say Crowley for they know I am holy. Alistair Crowley pronounced his name that way but he said that if i wish to treat him foully i should pronounce it alistair crowley yeah and since he was a abusive woman-hating degenerate jackass i'll pronounce it how i damn well want boom mic drop don't drop the mics <laughs> yeah, they're, they're very expensive <laughs> emotional mic drop <laughs> i'm so glad we got that i i forgot about that and i'm glad we got that so yeah. uh so back so to yes we yeah. yeah. So I'm sorry. Back <laughs> you had a throwdown, did you? <laughs> it was an issue. It was uh that was our very first episode, and it's the first time because in our first episode, like oh, we made a horrible tactical error in going. <laughs> you know, we're gonna get some things wrong from time to time, and we really want to hear that. <laughs> no, we don't. <laughs> what a, what a dumb thing to say. <laughs> Never tell us when we're wrong. <laughs> but it's too late now. We've got a whole penalty box. We've got this elaborate system <laughs> designed to punish us for our own ignorance, and we're lashed to it. <laughs> we don't make that mistake on our podcast. We're always right. <laughs> oh man. Although I do know that Robin occasionally will say Crowley because he's a sucker. Up. <laughs> oh. But anyway, uh, yeah. Alistair Crowley's uh, sort of one of his magical heirs, and being Alistair, he had lots of possible claimants to the throne of Antichrist. 
is a guy named Kenneth Grant, who is a uh, black magician and delightful fellow and has written many wonderful books. And one of them, uh, uh, I believe it's called... Um, Hitting the switches for uh, the witches? It's uh, in Outside the Circles <laughs> of Time. He says that uh, Lovecraft is presenting the truth of the Klippothic universe, the dark universe mm-hmm. that is on the other side of our universe that Crowley is talking about as the source of the left-hand path's power, or that Kenneth Grant is saying Crowley is talking about, I should emphasize, because obviously there are plenty of Crowleyans who are like, Kenneth Grant is wrong, Kenneth Grant is crazy, <laughs> how dare he get our imaginary black magic wrong? <laughs> <laughs> and so uh, Kenneth Grant says that Lovecraft revealed this because he was an unconscious shaman, like a transmitter of these truths and that where Kenneth Grant's version of the mythos differs from Lovecraft's, it's because Lovecraft didn't, wasn't a magus and didn't have the will to perceive it correctly. So he, so Grant is writing Lovecraftian fan fiction in the guise of black magic (laughs) and then saying that his fan fiction is better because Lovecraft isn't a real magician and therefore gets it wrong. And so Kenneth Grant in, uh, uh, Night Side of Eden and in a bunch of his other uh, Hecate's Shadow, a bunch of his other uh, black magic books sort of elaborates on this Lovecraftian dimension, the Kalepothic universe, and uh, says that this is what Lovecraft had brought to us. He was the he was the prophet, the the prophet of the Klippoth, as Crowley was the prophet of the of the law. So he he almost he's almost using uh, Lovecraft's own mythos to describe Lovecraft's describing. His mythos. He's saying that Lovecraft is picking up on the the dreams mm-hmm. of Cthulhu. Yeah, and and his and and then by writing them, he's just he's just yeah. a transmitter, right? And in fairness, Lovecraft got a lot of his stuff from his nightmares. Yeah, like I mean, the story Unnameable is is a, basically a transcribed nightmare. He wrote a little t- a squib called The Very Old Folk that became part of the horror out of the hills, the horror from the hills by Frank Belknap Long. That was a Lovecraft dream. He dreamed the scene in Call of Cthulhu where Wilcox brings the bas relief to Angel. Mm-hmm. So a lot of his stuff, the the story near Lathotep is all dream. So a lot of his stuff does come out of these dreams. And so the notion is, oh, where's he getting the dreams? And of course, Lovecraft himself has said in Call of Cthulhu, yeah. you get the dreams from Cthulhu. So it's just not that far a step, but Kenneth Grant makes it a thing. There's another guy named, I think, Muller. I forget his first name, but he's written a book in which Lovecraft it was Randy. Is, a, uh, is a alchemist. And is presenting this alchemical theorem, not in the guise of fiction, but in the guise of the true physics of the universe. And the reason alchemy works is because Lovecraft is real. So you have someone saying, no, uh, Lovecraft is describing the other side, yeah, the, right. the dark half of mm-hmm. this. How does that translate into believers then? I mean, there are people who, and again, this came out of a, 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 a school of magic called chaos magic that a guy named Phil Hine invented or uh, sort of popularized that was that you don't need to be doing boring old magic the way that stupid old Eliphas Levy and Aleister Crowley did. This, ain't, you your, this do, ain't your grandpa's magic. That's right. You just have to sort Skateboards. of figure out the basic concepts of uh, you know contagion, similarity, and magic words and sigils, and you can do magic about anything. You can do magic about H.P. Lovecraft stuff. And I think that the first chaos magic guys knew that it was fiction, but said, look, you can get the same results from fiction as you can from Satan or Pan or Hermes, which I also would agree with, by the way, but not <laughs> for the reason they think. <laughs> <Right. laughs> 
Yes, you can. You're right. Or from Ray Bradbury or yeah. from nothing. Yep. <laughs> Episodes of My Little Pony. You'd be surprised how much time and goat heads you can save by <laughs> not doing magic. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, there are now various uh, magical sects of Cthulhu who are to one degree or another either neo-pagan or what are called Satanists. Anton LaVey, the founder of the Church of Satan, yep. was a big Lovecraft fan. He founded something called the Order of the Trapezoid, which is his homage to Lovecraft's shining trapezohedron from Honor in the Dark. And there's a guy named uh, Michael Aquino, who is sort of one of his magical, you know, the, again, his Kenneth Grant, I guess, mm-hmm. who has introduced Nir Lothotep into the Church of Set, which I think was his church for a while. So, yeah, there, there's been bleed over in, I think, for the same reason that, you know, heavy metal guys are all into Lovecraft. I think Satanists yeah. are into Lovecraft for the same reason, because the imagery is so cool. Yeah. Right? And so... Because it's bitching. The, the trouble, of course, is that unlike heavy metal guitarists, uh, black magicians and Satanists often have very poor understandings of boundaries. <laughs> and so you wind up with people who are literally... <laughs> they don't have the cool heads of the, of the metal musicians. Of, 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 of black <laughs> the, metal musicians. The, the quiet, rational skills. Yes. The simple, the simple <laughs> life-choice-making abilities <laughs> of a drummer for a metal band. And again, it's hard to determine from an internet post who's being serious and who's being a troll. But they are as serious about saying, I've made contact with Nier Lothotep. Great. As they are about saying, I made contact with Hermes, great. And this being, despite the fact that, of course, Lovecraft says, no, seriously, if you do that, you know, best case scenario, you've killed yourself. Yeah. Worst case scenario, you've doomed everyone in the world. What the hell, man? (laughs) And so if you believed that this stuff was real, my thought would be that would be the last person who would actually try this. And so maybe they're all just, you know, postmodern uh uh, pranksters out there trying to mess with people. But I think that some of them are, are serious idiots. Yeah. <laughs> it is serious comma idiots. idiots. Like they are, yeah. they are earnestly working towards their nonsensical goal towards idiocy. Yeah. <laughs> Mission accomplished. Well, uh, this has been uh, a blast to talk about and real fun to research too. I mean, Oh yeah. You get to just sit and read Lovecraft <laughs> day in, day out. That's uh uh, that's a win. That's a good gig. Yeah. I'll tell you um, from experience. <laughs> yeah. it, it's, it's sweet. Yeah. It is good. It's nice. So, uh, I've been paid to do it twice. I'd do it a third time. <laughs> Cut that, people a break. Um, <laughs> for talk to me on Twitter. Yeah, do it. Yeah. What would you pay me to read Lovecraft? <laughs> Surprisingly affordable. Uh, that, that'll then be the, uh, the old Cthulhu mythos in a, a yeah. mountain sized, incomprehensible in a slumbering nutshell nutshell, deep below the waves of the pacific ocean and now we return to the pun witch horror oh man (laughs) who would like to go first not 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 rj buntsworth the (laughs) third i'm gonna sit the first i'm gonna the fact that you have to have a whole other one now (laughs) i know poor dave may god have mercy on what we will charitably describe (laughs) as his wad already (laughs) you guys are yeah you guys are the ones that really suffer for this so yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna sit here and think on what I've done for a moment. Uh, Flora, why don't, why don't you please? All right, and please. Then I'll do one. And uh, then Dave will do one. That'll I've really uh, be I, awesome. I'll say something. I don't know if I'm technically will count as doing one. <laughs> I have I have a store, another store, specializing in horrific handwear. What? What? HP Glovecraft. 
really. Oh yeah, yeah. See, I well, brought this us. Is what happens when you bunt? Dave. Yeah, it I brought just, us all a bad down. Model I brought everyone. us all down. Welcome to the big leagues, kids. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> Try not to get crushed by the pressure. <laughs> but I, what I like is that is that neighborhood in um, uh, the Miskatonic Valley where all of the 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 kids with their fixie bikes and their crazy sideburns. And their um, uh, theremins and such—they all hang oh, yeah. out. Yeah, yeah. And you know they—they uh, they all gather hipsters. in various. Exactly. It's it's your Miskatonic hipsters. And what I like is when when they gather together at their uh, at their favorite bars and watering holes, they they don't go for the the craft stuff or the artisanal stuff. They just pop open a PB Arkham. <laughs> oh God! Take that in the face. Take all it. Right. All right. I Take it hard. I hope you're fucking ready Take for what's about to happen. <laughs> oh, could we be more ready? There is a uh, a long forgotten uh, musical artist who had a, just a, a, an amazing voice who ruled the charts for millennia, but um, the stars fell out of alignment and her career sank to the bottom of a proverbial ocean. Uh, her name was Mar- Mariah Carey. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> And I just heard 10,000 iPods being smashed to the ground. Yeah. Way to okay. build an audience. Maybe 300. Yes. Well, they, they ran out and found, each of them found 300 friends and said, smashed their iPod. Bring it forward, f***er. Nice. I thought that was pretty good, actually. I was pretty pleased with myself. Because what it's my option? Staying awake all night <laughs> yeah, crying? Right, yeah. No, you, you self-knowledge is the most dangerous knowledge of all. <laughs> what do you got next, Flora? Oh, man. I don't know if I can get to that. Uh, <laughs> Mariah Carey. Yeah. Uh, I got one more store for you. Oh, okay. This one's so full of kilts, it'll drive you crazy. Oh, God. At the Mountains of Plaidness. Uh, <laughs> that's beautiful yeah i'm enjoying that that's that's pretty awesome <laughs> that's good stuff ken oh right yeah it's on me now of um, course it is it's your turn as i think i've mentioned or if i haven't i'll mention it now lovecraft loved cats oh he thought nice. they were vastly superior to dogs in every way one of his best stories one of his only one of the Danzanian stories that really works is called the cats of Ulthar. so he really liked cats and he worked you know he, a lot of people don't know this that he was as devoted to cat health and cat welfare as he was to the horror story. Really? He really, really was not. Um, was. <laughs> and so he developed a, um, uh, an, a, a, a treatment for uh, cat's uh, fur uh, to make it uh, glossy. Mm-hmm. And then he thought, well, the fur is nice, but that's just, it's just cosmetic. What cats really need is something so that they'll be able to... Um, negotiate uh, cramped corridors and things like that, keep those things uh, working. What we really need is some kind of whisker tonic. <laughs> oh, nice. That was good. Yeah. That was good. I, I like, like whole... Lovecraft. I take a long time to get to the payoff. <laughs> no, that has a whole mythos to it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> right, yeah. You built a world. That's right. <laughs> and we, we got to live in it. And then Clark Re- Ashton Smith is going to reference my joke, and you're going to be like, oh, my God, it's real. <laughs> <laughs> Holy really shit. Happened. Lovecraft did have a line of cat cosmetics. <laughs> go around sold at the Mountain of Catness store. Oh, else. oh. that and copies of Hunger Games. I was going to say that's is that the pile of money that Jennifer Lawrence got from those movies? Mm, I'm sorry, I was distracted. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, what? I just pile of money. <laughs> Good man, Ken. Yeah. 
Hey, my wife listens to the <laughs> yeah, podcast. she does. She's a devoted listener. She is. She's a great listener. She, yeah. We get a lot of good emails from her. H.P. Yeah. Um, Lovecraft was also a very big fan of just uh, medieval history, culture, songs. Absolutely. And uh, totally was true. a regular attendee to um, uh, Renaissance fairs. Yeah. And sure. uh, yeah. regularly attended every summer. Uh, Every all Renaissance up, fair that was held in Providence, I yeah. think he went to. Well, <laughs> even up and down the eastern seaboard. Oh, wow. Um, and one of the things that he enjoyed was uh, was bringing a, a, bunch of, a bunch of wine with him and just getting trashed. <laughs> the problem is, is that he was actually kicked out of the Renaissance fair and they cited him beca- for public intoxication. As and you he, do. Yeah. And he, um, he fired back as, as a writer would with an open letter called uh, In Defense of Flagon. Wow. <laughs> wow. That you want to write a story, kid? That that may have been the longest run for the shortest slide in the history of the sport. That's where you slide and you overshoot the base. Oh yeah. The and base you, was never there. No. Wah, wah, wah. Yeah. You like do the dive over oh, the no, catcher, but soccer. you don't hit the base either. You were the base. <laughs> the base was in all of us. In defense of flagon. In defense of flagon. Really? Wow. That's where you're going with that. My lord. My lord. <laughs> Not sorry. <laughs> you're a little sorry. That's how <laughs> that's how sociopaths operate. Yes. <laughs> You know, Dave Flora. Yeah. I try to stay clear of Innsmouth. Yeah. Don't trust them there. Not them Innsmouth folks. Nope, nope. They're all queer. All uh, queer. They got that look about them. Never blink too often. Never blink. They don't. Call it that Innsmouth look. Yeah. Reminds me of another group of people. Who's that? People that I don't avoid. Who's that then? Why, that'd be Lesna Mail. Lesna Mail, yeah. <laughs> Let's do a whole episode like that. Yeah, that'd be, that would be really fun. I <laughs> uh, got some good stuff from you guys this oh, week. Yeah. Oh, to start out, let's let's look up to the horizon there. What is that? Ooh. As the sun is setting, I oh, see a rider. Oh, 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 oh. Look to the mesa. It is our hero. But don't look. Why, <laughs> well, you Garcia. Surely you do not expect me to ride my burro all the way to Don Luke when he is riding to us on a stallion. Sergeant Garcia, I figured you could ride your burro out to meet him there. <laughs> uh, Don Luke! Don Luke, you honor us in our podcast. <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess it remains to be seen if we're truly honored. Let's 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 see what his puns are, huh? Yeah, let's let's see. Uh, after a hearty hola. And... <laughs> I uh, got some puns here from uh, the Don himself. How about this? Uh, an indecipherable text that shows pictures of people cranking it and rolling. <laughs> the Soldier Boynich manuscript. <laughs> That's awesome. Look, it's like I told you. <laughs> nice. A faceless figure who really can't drive too well, possibly on account of being faceless. Fender Benderman. Ooh. Ooh. He's, it's, that's, I mean, it's fertile ground. You know what? He's right. Right up next to my copyright on Fenderman, <laughs> but 
he got he gets it. He made a unique IP, and now we're in. Now we have to you know let the court settle it. Yeah, well yep. played. Okay. Uh, when Ryan Seacrest took over ninety three point nine Chicago Light FM, rather than building further his radio empire, he converted it into, into his conspiracy theory radio channel. Ninety three point nine Chicago Light F Chemtrail. Oh. <laughs> think that he's done you were wrong <laughs> fools <laughs> don luke is never done have you noticed this new pope he's a little bit off the hook the other day he instituted worship of the elder gods i'm not sure about this near la pope tap <laughs> we can't pronounce it at all <laughs> um, <laughs> and a very hearty non-euclidean breakfast the cthulhu myth toast <laughs> When the fun guys of Yugoth meet up at the Mountains of Radness, they have a bit of a ski-go. Hey-ho! <laughs> he, doubled, he doubled it up in there. I mean, nice. then he told us that he doubled it up, but well, we did notice. <laughs> true. <laughs> but well, that's part of uh, uh, Don Luke's charm. Gracias, Don Luke. We thank you for your patronage. As always, Don Luke, it's so nice to... I, I'm doing the voice of Don Luke, of what Don Luke would sound like, right? Well, as as like his, his regular people clothing. Well, there's only two... There's three people in the show, and one of them's a mute, so you, you don't have a choice. <laughs> Wait, I'll be the mute this time. You react, and then I'll react. All right? Do it again. Wait, Don Luke, you have arrived! <laughs> Oh, my friend, you always know exactly what to emote with your face. <laughs> now let's check the listener email. What's the that strong bad? The email. <laughs> uh, thank you, Don Luke, or gracias. Not to be outdone. <laughs> we get worse at this every time. I, I, I should have prepared. I, I've got oh, things. There we go. <laughs> you were really swinging from the shoulder there. Oh, I, think, I think I blew my rotator cuff. <laughs> Gray cat. Fancy feast. He's an elegant feline who only eats the choicest more souls. <laughs> it's mostly whale meat. <laughs> A Valentine's Day themed hobby shop called Lovecrafts. Uh, I like uh -oh. that. Uh oh, you think he's done? Nope. How about a shapeless lump of proto meat that's uh, that's okay with mustard? It's a hot dog off. <laughs> <laughs> we also have a German electronic music band that specializes in songs about the Cthulhu mythos called Lovecraftwerk. Wait, 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 wait. <laughs> And now it's time on Lovecraft work where we dance. We will have fun, fun, fun on the Dagon Bond. <laughs> Dagon Bond. <laughs> That's right, R2. We are going to Dagon Bond. <laughs> Let's see how many we can do. <laughs> Keep including more shit. <laughs> Beam me up, R2, to Dagon Bond. <laughs> Too no. far. You made a mockery is of our though? mockery. Is it? <laughs> Just saying is it and then squinting is not an effective defense of your position. But is it? <laughs> oh, shit. <laughs> Thank you, Grey Cat. <laughs> Thank you. Moving on to the loquacious Connor. Uh, Connor comes to us hat in hand. For his attempted pun theft of my, my, my pure, sweet, gentle gold that I spin every time. 
Um, I think it's more like a have a penny, take a penny tray, Connor. Sure. I think you're okay. Uh, but nonetheless, he gives us some really uh, fun factoids. Um, irritate a coworker with these. The fear of palindromes is ibophobia. You know, so so sorry. Ubophobia. Ibophobia. <laughs> Ubophobia. Until 1985, 1985, we had had space shuttles rocketing into the cosmos. Until 1985, doctors would operate on infants without any anesthesia, even open heart surgery, as they believed that the infants would never go into shock, no matter how much agony they were in. Wow. Could have been us, dude. Yeah. He hits us up with a couple other fun facts that are, just quite honestly, too hot for a podcast. (laughs) Connor, you saucy minx. But he does wrap it up with a pun. Uh, Hotline was open for a brief, mostly unknown period of time in the early 90s, which allowed the caller to hear a studio crowd chant their name when in need of a boost. It was known as the Shanene line, which I believe is a pun on the ley line. The Shanene part remains a mystery. (laughs) Shanene was in Martin, right? (laughs) Yeah. Martin. Shanene. And he uh, he closes out with a go David, which I think applies to both of us, and a go go Divad. Oh Divad! Well, I wonder where that stupid son of a bitch is. <laughs> I got pinned under part of car. It's okay. I find grasses and occasional worms to make eating fun. <laughs> uh, Connor also wants us uh, to keep in mind the old mind flares from D and D. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, speaking of a nod to Lovecraft, they're the hyper-intelligent octo-headed creatures of the Underdark. Yeah. Pretty pretty fearsome and, and cool. Uh, he says, from what I hear, Diggy may have some competition now. Ruh-roh. Well, mamba by plamba. The brothers No IQ, No Idea, and Nadoi are making the rounds, taking the name of their group from a term once and still used to address the trio. Welcome, please. The Clueless Klutz Clan. Yeah! That's it. They sound like a bunch of clowns to me. With a K, right? Yeah! Clowns with a K. Uh, Connor also shares your your, uh, fear of spiders there. It's a grudging respect that I've developed over years of Mortal Kombat. (laughs) It's it's the kind of respect that I can best um, uh, exhibit by screaming in the most girlish manner when I see a spider. And... And the kind that the uh, spiders respond with by saying, get over here. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks, Connor, for writing in. Oh, oh, everybody, make sure your your headphones are nice and snug. Make sure your head is warm because it's a visit from Toboggan Jen. Toboggan Jen. I'm sure she'd love to be known as just Jen, but that ain't going to happen. Sorry, Jen. She picked a hill and she died on it. (laughs) (laughs) Old Toboggan Hill. (laughs) A grave for me and a grave for Jen. <laughs> right. And apparently everybody else who likes to have ear flap hats, but not in Canada where they are, resoundly toques. They're not ear flaps hat, hats, dude. Oh, my God. They're not. They're, it's it's a round thing that you put on your head. It's a hat. It, they, there's no flaps involved. Okay. It's well, flapless. Then I, then I, was I, have no, I have no problems with wampa flaps in, on this hat. <laughs> I uh... I no my, to, my toboggan morphology. I don't know anything about toboggan physiology. Then maybe you shouldn't open your damn mouth. <laughs> <laughs> maybe you should just stop shooting off your great big mouth, <laughs> dummy. You're a phony. What's Jen say? <laughs> All right, Jen hits us up with some poons. 
Uh, since Lovecraft's marriage went downhill pretty fast, it seems he could have probably used a love draft. Oh. <laughs> Boy, <laughs> Uh, little known fact, H.P. Lovecraft wrote a few early versions of his much more famous works. Some of these included a story about a tentacled monster just looking for their cold weather clothing called The Shawl of Cthulhu. <laughs> Another about an old crone with a low IQ called The Dumb Witch Horror. <laughs> she was an idiot. <laughs> and lastly, during a moment of seeming clairvoyance about the state of the U.S. in later years... He wrote a diatribe about our obsession with fast food and soft drinks called At the Fountains of Fatness. Oh, don't drink those calories, people. Well done, Jen. Indeed. Oh, wait. Wait a minute. Oh? Uh, do me a favor, Flora. Go check behind that desk. I, I thought I saw something over there. What is it? I don't know. You'll have to. There's a bunch of dunce, dust bunnies and <gasps> a bonus pawn. Oh, Vrab just day I'm like a mom rat. Yeah, I'm out graving. <laughs> Stop chortling, Dave. <laughs> oh, let's unwrap it. One, two, one, two, and through and through. <laughs> Snicker snack with, with my scissors. <laughs> And hath thou brought the, the pun? Right, let's see. Come to me, my beamish flora. <laughs> Jesus, listen to us just nerd stroke ourselves. Jen's <laughs> uh, like, just do it yeah, already. Read the fucking pun already. I'm almost to work. Jen says Lovecraft wrote a scathing rebuttal, not quite as famous as Defending Dagon, but no less pithy, about a new tanning solution called Defending Sprayons. Yeah, he don't like no pale flesh. <laughs> no self-respecting New England is going to get caught with some pale she-ghost. Nah, I like a nice Florida whore color. <laughs> Only in Dorchester. Hey, <laughs> wicked. Dorchester, you may. <laughs> and, uh, and finally rounding out the week for us, we've got an email from Danielle. What? Hi, Danielle. Thanks for writing. She sounds magnificent. Danielle sends in... Her first pun, I hope of many. Oh, and it sh and so it shall be. <laughs> Danielle gets legal on us. Oh, yeah? Yeah. When convicted of rape in Russia, the rapist must pay Rasputative damages to the victim. <laughs> it's funny because it directly applies to a rapist named Rasputin. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I like them multi-syllable ones. <laughs> mm -hmm. They're smart. She's bringing, up, she's, she's bringing up the average. Well done, Danielle. Yeah, thank you. Way to fuck up that bell curve. <laughs> Uh, so thanks everybody for listening, yeah. and many of the, min, the 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 most of the thanks, the most of the thanks goes to yeah. Ken Height. I'll give the lion's share of thanks to Ken Height. Oh, thank you guys for uh -huh. having me on. It's we, always we, great fun. Yeah, we thank you. Appreciate uh, you taking time out to to come and talk with us about uh, a very uh, amazing author that needs to be talked about more. Yeah, and who sort of underlies like everything, everything. virtually everything <laughs> that. Uh, that that we care about as nerds and that a lot of yeah. stuff that you guys are talking about on the podcast either comes exactly. out of or is treated by Lovecraft mm -hmm. in his uh in his works. I mean, you know, Whisper in Darkness's UFO story, it's all there, man. Oh yeah. It's all blurry photos all the way down. <laughs> <laughs> uh again, you can uh check more of Ken's stuff out, out. Go on iTunes, search for the podcast Ken and Robin talk about stuff, or you can uh, go to Ken and Robin talk about stuff dot com and find uh, uh, fun stuff where Ken talks with Robin Laws about uh, uh, gaming and uh, etc. 
etc. Uh, sweet, sweet nerd culture. You can go on Twitter and find uh, Ken at Kenneth Height. Follow him there. You can go get uh, all of his books uh, online, starting with uh, Osprey Publishing for the Nazi Occult. Uh, you can go to AtomicOverMindStore.com uh, for numerous uh, books, including the the Tarot of Cthulhu. The Tarot of Cthulhu, yes. Very fun. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Atlas Games for his uh, uh, children's books, uh, such as Where the Deep Ones Are and the Antarctic Express. And I I know we mentioned it before, but if uh, this is the first time you're hearing Ken on our podcast, why don't you jump in the Wayback Machine and listen to our uh, Nazis and the Occult episode, Mm -hmm. where Mm -hmm. he also tells us what's what. Which we should have split into two episodes, so (laughs) we uh, get you more information. (laughs) That was really cool. We learned our lesson, obviously. See? We're evolving. We we can be taught. (laughs) Slowly. Not not for puns. There's no (laughs) learning going on there. Uh, and as for us, you can go to iTunes also and find us there. Uh, you can rate us and star us and, and write a review and all that stuff. I guess rating and starring is the same thing. I always yeah. say that. I'm but, an idiot. So you can still do both. I don't but care. You, uh, you can go to blurryphotos.org. I'm starting to put some uh, some little extra information links on there. I don't know if you've noticed or not, but uh, mm. check it out. Yeah. Uh, it's worth it. Go to Twitter, blurry underscore photos. You can find us there. Uh, importantly, you can like us on Facebook. Make us look important. Uh, blurry Photos Podcast there and YouTube. Stumble upon if you can. Uh, uh, Stumble upon it. That's that's all. Uh, <laughs> but uh, Stumble upon killed his dog. Yeah. <laughs> Those jerks. Uh, for this episode, though, of Blurry Photos. I'm the case of David Dexter Stecco. <laughs> I'm at the mountains of heightness. <laughs> nice. <laughs> I believe you have that on the back of a jersey, don't you? Yeah, maybe. <laughs> and I am Dagon Flora. Oh. <laughs> 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 so tired, but I can't sleep, standing on the edge of something much too deep, it's funny how we fear so much, we cannot say a word, we're screaming inside, but can't be heard. I will remember you Will you remember me Don't let your life Pass you by Weep not for Memory
so afraid to love you, but more afraid to lose. Clinging to a past that doesn't let me choose. Once there was a darkness deep and endless night. You gave me everything you had, oh, you gave me life. I'll remember you. Ha! Will you remember me? Don't let your life pass you back. Weep not for I will remember you Will you remember Don't let your love pass you back We've not forgotten